Oh man, I'm so excited to be back at Living Hope. This is awesome. Uh, if I, my name is Joe, and uh, this is my third time being here, I think. Yeah. And uh, this is really, really a, an honor. I don't take it lightly that I get asked to come back and do stuff. Um, so you don't hate me, at least. I can say that. Um, I'm very grateful. And this time, my family is actually here with me. Um, as Josh mentioned, they made uh, the 11-hour the drive with me. I don't like to fly a whole lot, so they unfortunately have to pay the price for that, and they had to, they had to drive with me all the way down here. Um, I just want to give you guys a word of encouragement this morning before we get started. You all are one of the most encouraging, hospitable churches I've ever been around. Uh, I hope you know that. I hope you realize how your, your generosity, just as an outsider coming in, it really does speak volumes about who you are, the character, um, the, the, the love that you have for Jesus. So just as an encouragement to you this morning, I hope you, you hear that and know that and, and keep living into that truth. Okay, let's get into it. This picture up here in just a moment is going to be Roger Bannister. He was an English neurologist, which is a guy that like works with brain and all that kind of stuff, that focused on the autonomic nervous system. There's that big, big phrase there. Uh, primarily autonomic failure. Now, autonomic failure is the area of neurology that focuses on illnesses characterized by the loss of certain uh, automatic responses in the nervous system. That's a lot of big words that I'm too dumb to understand, so I'm going to dumb it down just so I can get it. But autonomic functions are basically like the things you don't have to think about doing, like breathing or swallowing or coughing or sneezing. You don't really think about breathing, right? You just breathe. Same with most autonomic functions, hence the auto part, it's automatic for you. You don't have to think about it. When you eat, you don't have to tell yourself, okay, wait a minute, how do I digest my food again? You just digest your food, right? When you go out in this South Louisiana heat, which is so different from Kentucky heat, I mean, it is just, it, you know, grabs you by the neck and just chokes you to death. Uh, you don't have to tell yourself, Okay, sweat so we can cool this body down. No, your body knows we've got to sweat to cool this thing down. It just automatically happens, right? And some of us, me included, sweat more than others. Now, Roger Bannister, he published more than 80 papers about autonomic failure. He edited a textbook about it. He gave lectures around the world. He was the master of Pembroke College. But that is not what Roger Bannister is most remembered for. for. So Roger Bannister is best remembered for being the first man to run a mile in under four minutes. And on May 6, 1954, he ran the first sub four-minute mile in under three, with a time of three minutes, 59 seconds, or 59 and four-tenths seconds. That's very important. And since at least 1886, there had been people, runners, trying to break that four-minute mile, like really trying to focus on breaking it. And they had the best coaches, uh, they, they had the best runners from around the world trying to achieve this. And I remember learning about this a few years ago. I am a, I like to run, but I'm not very great at it. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was in elementary school, we had to run the mile for, for PE class. And I don't know if any of you that grew up in the, in, in the 90s or maybe late 80s, there was this brand of shirts called No Fear. Does anybody remember these? Okay, well, they had like phrases on the back. I was late for the day that we ran the mile, or I was, I was sick on the day we ran the mile. And so my friend, another friend of mine, he was also sick. And we had to run the mile by ourselves. 
And, and the whole time, he is ahead of me. The entire time. And I'm not, again, I'm not very fast. And the entire time I'm running this mile, he's wearing a no fear shirt. And on the back of it, it says, second place is the first loser. <clears throat> I was like nine years old. I still remember this. <laughs> Roger Bannister broke this record. And that's him crossing the, the, the finish line the day that he did it. And until 1954, that record had never been broken. And his author, John Bryant, in his book about Roger Bannister, this is what he said. For years, milers had been striving against the clock, but the elusive four minutes had always beaten them. It had become as much a, a psychological barrier as a physical one. And like un, an unconquerable mountain, the closer it was approached, the more daunting it seemed. And so finally, after all of these years, all of these runners that had failed before, Roger Bannister breaks this record, and he held that record for an incredible 46 days. <laughs> That's right, 46 days. When this seemingly insurmountable record was finally broken, after years and years, it only took 46 days for it to be broken again with an even faster time. And since Roger Bannister broke that record way back in 1954, over 1,600 people have ran a sub-four-minute mile since then. And that list continues to grow. So what happened? Was it better runners, better, better equipment, better shoes, better tracks? Yes, I think that's part of it. But I think three things stand out when I look at this story. One, the first reason I think is that so many people achieved that sub-four-minute mile after him is that once they saw someone else actually break the record, it didn't seem so impossible anymore, Right? There, it could be done. It's achievable. It wasn't out of reach any longer. The second thing I think stands out for me is a lot of people were working towards this goal. There was a lot of momentum going. People from all around the world training, trying to get this record accomplished. And when a lot of people get going and working towards a goal, that can make a huge difference. I'll give you an example. Thomas Edison, he's working on electricity, making, it, making the light bulb, right? And, and it's not just him. There's a guy named Tesla. Ever heard of him? He's also doing that. And a guy named George Westinghouse, who's also working towards this. And they were working toward having a, a electricity that could, long-lasting electricity in homes. And within their lifetime, they, they saw that happen. In our day and age, we see people like Jeff Bezos from Amazon or, or, or uh, Richard Branson from Virgin Atlantic or uh, Elon Musk from SpaceX, and they're trying to make space exploration this common thing. And they're all working towards this goal. And so they're kind of competing and momentum's happening. People are driving each other to achieve this goal. And then the third thing I think is before Roger Bannister, there was no tried and true method as to how to achieve this goal. It was all just guesswork. Maybe if we ran on this day or this weather, or if we ran in front of a crowd or on this type of track, no one knew exactly what to do until Roger Bannister came along and showed them the way. There's a hiking term that's called breaking trail. And it's when a person goes ahead of the, of the group and like maybe like a heavy snow and they, they clear the path, they break the trail so it's easier for the others to come along and follow. It's so much easier to walk in those kind of tracks, right? Instead of sludging through the snow. Over and over in the gospels, we see Jesus breaking trail for us. But one of the biggest ways that he did this was at the cross. Jesus set a new standard for loving God and loving others at the cross. 
Because our sin caused an, a seemingly insurmountable gap, a divide between us and God the Father. But Jesus broke the trail and made a way. Uh, the, the, the scripture will be on the screen, but it's Luke 23, 32 through 43, if you want to follow along in, in your Bibles. But again, it'll be on the screen as well. And it says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood there watching, and the, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God the Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up, and they mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there with him began hurling insults at him. And he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are, are being punished justly. for We're getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is the only one that could break that trail for us and for that criminal. Because you and I are lost in the wilderness with no way of, of getting out. Because of our sin, every human in history owes a debt to God the Father. You've heard the scripture over and over, I'm sure, that says the wages of sin is death. So the payment is death. That's the debt we owe, is death. But Jesus, so compelled in his love for us, in his love for God, as the sinless, perfect son of God, he takes our place. He takes our place. And he shows us in this moment how much he really loves us how much he really loves and wants to be obedient to God the Father. He knows we deserve death, but he asked, this criminal knows he deserves death, but he asks Jesus to remember him. And what does Jesus do? He shows him unconditional love and promises that he will be with Jesus in paradise. That is not the way of the world. Loving someone unconditionally, forgiveness, restoration, those aren't the trails that the world has set out for us. But Jesus shows us a better way, and he blazes that trail for us. In Philippians uh, 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes about this new trail, this new way of loving. And he says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, <clears throat> being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you are here and you believe in Jesus, then you are called to love like Jesus. We can debate lots of stuff when it comes to, to Christianity. But if you're a Christian, this is the trail you are to be on. 
This is the trail I am to be on, to love unconditionally, to forgive when others don't deserve it, to be obedient to God the Father. And here's the great news about that. That that song that we just sang, that power that, that that we've been given through the Holy Spirit, that is in us if we are in Christ. That is in us to be able to do those things. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness, Scripture tells us. Everything you need, you've been equipped with through the Holy Spirit. Now, loving like Jesus, that is a really big goal. That's bigger than running a sub four-minute mile. But Jesus has shown us it's possible, right? He's shown us it's possible to do. The hopeless are given hope when that happens. The dead are given new life. Those that have seemed too far gone, we discover, aren't. If that criminal being crucified... And in his last act, ask Jesus to remember him. And he's promised eternal life. Then no one is too far gone from the love and the grace of Jesus. Loving like Jesus isn't out of reach for us. It is very achievable because Jesus has broken the trail. The disciples saw that and they realized the mission. That, 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 that they had to go and tell others about this good news. And so what happens when a group of people get motivated? Man, the world begins to change. Electricity in the home isn't just an idea, but it's a reality. Space exploration isn't just an idea, but it becomes a reality. The gospel isn't just some words on a page or a story, but it becomes reality. This group of disciples, they went from arguing with each other about like, who's the greatest in the kingdom? No, I want it to be me. No, it's me to going out and changing the world for the cause of Christ. Amen. That's pretty cool. Like, that's, what, that's, the, that's the trajectory they went on. And they brought, in that process, they brought so many people to Jesus. You and I are here because of what happened so long ago. That's a ripple effect, right? That's making waves. And what would happen if just a small group of you in here today really, like, decided, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, I, I, I believe, but man, I'm, I'm going all in. I, I'm, I'm going to be sold out. I, I really want to see the world change for Jesus. What could happen? What could happen if that, if that was your goal, that became your focus? Before anyone had run a sub four minute mile, there wasn't a clear path to how to do it. And then Roger Bannister comes along and shows And before anyone had loved like Jesus, there wasn't a clear path. We had the laws and the commandments, but no one had fulfilled that, right? No one had completely fallen that until Jesus comes along and does that. And we can look at the trail that he blazed and be like, that's what I want to be on. Now, here comes the problem. We don't always walk that trail. We don't always follow that that path. And so how how do we get there? I think Romans chapter 12 provides us a really clear idea. And it's, it's Romans 12, 1 through 2, and it says, Therefore, Paul's writing, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So when you look at God and his mercy, when you see it, when you, when you think about all the things God has done for you, this is, what you're gonna, this is how you should respond. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not, conform anymore, or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's, or God's will is, his good, 
pleasing and perfect will. Renewing your mind is the key. And if I were sitting in your place right now, uh, about, about 10 years ago, I would be like, okay, renewing your mind, that sounds great. Cool, how do I do it? What do I do? Because that is a, like a church phrase that we throw around a lot. Like, like I remember being little and having no idea what the word justification meant or sanctification. I would just always shake my head and be like, all right, yes, okay. Renewing your mind, what does that mean? Roger Bannister was more than just a guy who broke that sub four minute mile. As I told you, he was a neurologist. And in fact, he was more proud of his work in, in that field than he was of his athletic achievements. And his focus, like I said, was on autonomic the nervous system, the failures of that, and those bodily functions that just automatically occur, like breathing. So what if loving like Jesus became an autonomic function in your life? What if it were just the automatic way you responded to every situation? Think about when you text someone. Um, You don't really have to think about where your fingers go anymore, right? If you've been texting for a while, you know how to do it. You can do it really fast, unless you're like my mom who was still using like, what is it? Like where you had to go through and punch each one. Yeah, she, she, I blew her mind with that. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. If you, if, you, if, you're, if you type, if you play piano, if you play an instrument, if you play baseball, if you play a sport, if you speak, you don't have to think, right? It's just automatic. You know how to do it. When you're texting, you don't have to think, where's the T? Where's the T? No, you know where it is. So it becomes a natural part of who you are. Now, when you learn something new, you have to think about what you're doing. My son is is learning to play piano, and he's taking these lessons, and so he's he's getting pretty good, and so sometimes he doesn't even have to, like, look down at his hands. He can just know this is where my hands go because it's becoming more automatic. But when you're first learning, you're having to build those pathways in your mind. They're called neural pathways. That's really what it is. You're breaking trail in your mind to learn how to do this. And so the neurons are firing and they're, they're blazing that tra- trail so that eventually they're clearing out space in your mind so that it becomes automatic. And once the trail has been made, you don't have to think about it. It just becomes more a natural thing for you. And you can make neural pathways that are positive or you can make ones that are negative, right? We all know this. Good habits, bad habits. And that is why Paul, I think, says, do not conform to the pattern. Do not conform to the path, the trail of this world, but be transformed. Build new pathways in your mind by renewing your mind. You're going to create pathways in your head. That's just going to happen. All of us, for all of us, that's what we do. And so wouldn't it be better to create ones that are life-giving rather than ones that lead to death? Wouldn't it be great if every time we came into a situation No matter what we were facing, our response was to be like Jesus in that moment, to love. And Jesus has broken the trail. He's shown us it's possible. He's given us a group of people to do that, to have momentum, to do something crazy, to make waves. And he's shown us the way to follow him. I read this book last year um, that that really impacted um, my life. and um, And it opened my eyes to a lot of this stuff. And it's called... The Soul of Shame, and it's by a guy named Kurt Thompson. And he is way smarter than me. That's not saying a whole lot, but this guy is really way smarter than me. Um, And he has a ton of wisdom and and so much good stuff to say about all this. And I was listening to an interview that he was doing recently, 
And uh, he, he was talking about how we can only give what we've received. I can't give you a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. I can give you a dollar because I do have that. And he's talking, he says, loving people is the same way. And this is what he said. We aren't great at loving people. And the reason we aren't good at loving people is that we are even less capable to receive love. I'm so resistant to being loved. And I have thought about that, that little snippet from that interview a lot. And it, because um, I am not great at receiving love. Part of it is, is that uh, I don't always feel, I don't always feel adequate. I have a front row seat to all the mistakes I make every day. And so it's hard for me sometimes to see past that, to see Jesus, to see how God has forgiven me and given me grace, because all I, I, sometimes I, I just see the mistakes. I just see the mess ups. Maybe you're the same way. Because also being loved means being vulnerable, and that's hard sometimes to be open. It's not always fun. Maybe you have trouble with that. Because if we can only give what we've received, then that's going to make it really difficult to love others the way Jesus has. So I want you to pretend with me, okay? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play a game where you're going to imagine, okay? We're gonna, kids are really have good imaginations, so you go back to that moment. Go back when you had a really good imagination. We're just going to pretend here. You may not feel like you deserve the love of Jesus, but again, we're just pretending. I want you to imagine that that is true, though, right now that you, you, you have received the love of Jesus, that, that Jesus loves you more than you know. Again, we're just pretending, right? We're just pretending. I want you to imagine that that's true, that when Jesus sees you, when he thinks about you, he is filled with joy. Now, hopefully you can imagine this, even if you don't always believe it. Now, I want you to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some scripture, and I want you to just close your eyes. Again, we're just pretending. We're just pretending. Close your eyes, and I, I want you to imagine that all of this is so true. It's so real. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then in Romans 8, 1 through 2, it says, There is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, it says, this is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can open your eyes. You don't have to imagine that because it's true. It's the reality that we live in. And sometimes we forget that and we believe the lies instead of the truth. That you are loved, you are seen, and you are known by God. And so as you're, as you're renewing your mind, this is one of the ways you can do it is by going back to these kinds of verses and reminding yourself of the truth that you are loved, seen, known by God, that you have been given everything you need for, for life and godliness. We are a forgetful people, yes? We are a forgetful people. 
I forget these things all the time, and I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. Hopefully, you can begin to practice this stuff more and more so that you can live out these truths. And as you renew your mind, the more automatic it's going to become to love like Jesus. This week at Camp Living Hope, our theme is making waves. And one of the big takeaways for these students is, is this is a question we're going to be asking every day, is what you do today can change the world around you. What if you really began to believe the truth of the gospel, like really, really believe it? Think of the ripple effects that could have in your life. You can even look back to the way the people that have impacted you, and you can go back and look and see, oh man, it was this camp counselor when I was, when I was in middle school, or it was my youth group leader, or it was my, my parent, or my grandfather, or my grandmother, and you can see the ripple effects that's now having in your life, and you get to be that for someone else. Roger Bannister made waves when he ran that sub four minute mile. And like I said, we're still seeing the ripple effects because over 1,600 people have ran that sub four minute mile each year. That list continues to grow. In fact, just last year, LSU's own Davis Bove became the 572nd person in the U.S. to break the sub four minute mile. Our hope is that this week, It's not just a drop in the bucket for these kids and for our volunteers, but it is making a ripple effect that Jesus uses to impact these families, these friends, not just this week, but for years and years to come. And we believe Jesus can do that. That Jesus would use this precious time to impact these students. That is our prayer. So let's pray together. God, um, as I said earlier, I am, I am so, so grateful to be here. Um, I am grateful that my family gets to be here this year. Um, I just love these people. I love this church. I'm thankful for the ripple effects they've made in my life. God, they are already doing this stuff. They're already, God, renewing their minds. They are already making impacts and making waves for the kingdom. I can see it, you know, from Baton Rouge to Kentucky to around the world. God, this church makes waves. And so God, we want to pray. We want to pray for even a bigger impact because you're a big God. We want to pray for this week of camp, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would move in ways beyond our imagination and Father, if there is someone here, anybody here, God, that is, has just been struggling with like, man, I don't, I don't always feel loved by you, Jesus. I, I see all my mistakes. I see all the mess. I see all the junk. And, and I have that front row seat to it. God, rem- remove that and help us to see the truth. That in Christ, God, you don't see, you're not disappointed in us, but rather you see Jesus in us that we've been clothed in your righteousness, that we've been forgiven, and that we get to forgive others. We get to be your hands and feet. That's a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.